I think that there's no way, like, no matter what, like, we, we're going to just keep going because it's bigger than ourselves, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it is something, uh, you know, it's, it's a mission. It's a, a mission in life. Uh, it's about the language. It's about, it's is about the future of indigenous cultures and, and indigenous youth. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's so much bigger than, yeah, you're right. It's so much bigger than just a song or, or the band itself. Like we're in a band for the sake of being in a band. No, it's like we're in the band to save lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To save languages, to save traditions and culture and protocol. That was Kachung of Bamua. Kachung and his brother Philip started Bamua almost 30 years ago. The idea was to honor both sides of their heritage African American on their dad's side, and Yupik Inuit on their mom's side. The gospel music they heard in church and the traditional songs and dancing they experienced in their native communities made a powerful impression on both of them. In fact, Bumua's sound would eventually be called tribal funk or Inuit soul music, and their performances looked a lot like a traditional ceremony with music and dance. The idea connected with people from the very beginning. Two weeks after they came up with the idea for Bumua, they were performing in front of high school audiences, including the school they both graduated from, Wasilla High School. There were 10 shows in all, and they received $1,000 for all of their performances. The only doubt Kachung and his brother Philip had in the beginning of Bumua was whether or not their elders would accept it. They understood they were making drastic changes to traditional dances and traditional songs. Their elder stamp of approval came quickly though, and from that point on, they never had any doubts that people would accept and enjoy their music and their performances. Kachung says this is because music is an international language. You don't need to understand the native languages being spoken or sung to receive its message. Kachung says that he and his brother have become uncles to up-and-coming native artists. They share industry knowledge, opportunities, and even their own pitfalls throughout the years so that future generations have a better understanding of what works and what doesn't work. It's a position he takes pride in. He loves being able to advocate and support new artists on the ins and outs of the business end of things, because it's something he and Philip didn't have. So here he is, Kachung. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. Jamai huinga atha kajunga tagali mamtri sagamiunga tagam nutan mani zantiki hini witakto. Hello, everybody. My name is Kajung. Um, I'm uh, I'm originally from. Um, Bethel, Mamtaqeshak, Alaska, but I, I'm I'm zooming in and calling in from uh, from uh, Zantikahini, which is also known as Juneau, Alaska. Bumua's music has been described as Inuit soul music. What does that mean to you? 
Well, it's, you know, it derives from, uh, you know, Kishak and I, my brother, him and I started the group, um, gosh, we're almost, almost 30 years ago. And the idea of, of us starting this, this group was to really honor both sides of our heritage and of our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, growing up in Montreal, grew up here in, or growing up in Alaska, you know, it was like, um, at that time there was, you know, the, the idea of black indigenous and, you know, Afro indigenous wasn't something that was really talked about, you know, and, you know, my dad was like one of the first black people in, in, in the YK Delta area in Montreal. And, okay. and so it was like, you know, this, this, you know, it was, so there was this real kind of, um, identity kind of crisis kind of thing growing up right you know it's one it's always tough just kind of being an adolescent growing up but mm -hmm. but when you're growing up and you're and and especially in a culture in cultures um uh that have historically been you know miss you know uh you know misrepresented and and you know suppressed and you know the the af the, af the indigenous cultures of, of americas and of course the, the 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 black cultures are you know i come from two very two cultures that have had a, a difficult and very struggling struggle a time of struggle uh you know being a part of the united states of america mm -hmm. um and that history so we really wanted to just kind of honor our two our two cultures and the way that we did it was through music and so you know yupik being inuit and and uh bringing that kind of that uh that afro uh black soul we called it you know back in the day we i mean we still call it it but we you know we call it tribal funk or an, an inuit soul so that's kind of where where we came up with that because we we're just like you know a lot of people would be like asking like what would how would you describe your describe your music and you know, it was like, you know, we're singing in Yupik, but we're also uh, honoring that soulful uh, R&B stylings of what we heard growing up with my dad. So it's like, yeah. so that's where it kind of came out of. And so your dad was was listening to music that you guys kind of took from, you know, and and created what you describe as tribal funk. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like. Our dad at the time, when you know, for um, when we were really coming up with this this idea, he was he's a minister, you know, he's a preacher. Okay. So we're you know we're preachers' kids, you know, and uh, and we uh, for much of our our upbringing, you know, kind of like middle school, kind of high school age, um, he was a part of this this group called the uh, AME Zion, which stands for African Methodist Episcopal Zion. So, you know, we had also that, you know, upbringing of growing up in a black church. So mm -hmm. um, in addition to just really growing up in a village. So we had these two, this, these two upbringings that were really amazing um, and really, you know, kind of shaped who we were to become as, you know, as men mm -hmm. um, and as adults. And so, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, he was, so hearing gospel music in black churches and then, uh, singing traditional songs and and uh, those those yupik yupik uh, melodies and and rhythms and the dancing, uh, the, the, they were two very powerful mediums of art that were were very much a part of our lives growing up. Yeah. And at any point, you know, you, you just mentioned how your dad was part of a church. At any point, were there belief systems? that were at odds 
Um, oh, of course. I mean, okay. the, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it's a difficult history, right? Yeah. When you think about uh, indigenous cultures, especially, uh, you know, Alaska Native cultures, and the, how the churches in hand in hand with the government and with this and with the school systems, you know, BIA and all of that stuff, that that history, it was, you know, it's a very difficult and painful history. So we are mm -hmm. not, you know, like, it's, you know, as for, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not a part of the church. You okay. know, that, and that's my, that's just my background. You know, that was my dad. That was his, his thing. And he respected um, the fact that, you know, this, and he also knew like, you know, growing and raising, you know, indigenous kids, Alaska native kids, how, how sore and how painful that, that history of, of the church and, the, you know, the destruction of culture and language, I mean, name it, right. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 that's a, it's a real history and it's a recent history. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not lost on him, but, 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 you know, and so it is, it was a very, uh, interesting, interesting background, but also we honored it, you yeah. know, we honored, uh, we honor and respect people's beliefs and, and as, as we hope people, uh, honor and respect, uh, Alaska natives and, and indigenous beliefs. You know, that's really forward thinking of your dad to have this religion you know, and religion means so much and guides so much in someone's life that if they have a good experience with their religion, they want to share it with other people, you know, especially their kids. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how your dad was able to maybe let that go. I wonder if maybe you overheard conversations between him and your mom um, about that. Uh, well, you know, they, not really, you know, there was, it was just, uh, you know, this, the history of our, you know, growing up, our parents, you know, they, they, um, d divorced at a, you know, very early when I was a young age, I was like, okay. you know, six years old and Philip was four or three or something like that. Um, so, so it was, you know, so it was, that's kind of where the idea of the music came from because we had these two very strong headed parents you know mm -hmm. one dad one one with my father saying you know and at that time he wasn't a preacher you know he wasn't a minister okay in our early ages this is something this is this is later on in our lives so it wasn't part of my upbringing um really until like middle school age and high school but um but you know it was you know he really instilled the idea of us being you know proud black men right mm -hmm. and becoming proud black men and then of course our mom being, you know, Yupik, like just really instilling that pride of being Yupik. And, and, you know, we grew up, um, you know, my, most of my life was in, in Mamtarito, in, in Bethel and in Nunapichok. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, I spoke my language and, you know, I really grew up in a very traditional lifestyle and a background. So I really connected heavily with my, my, my Inuit side, my Yupik side. Mm -hmm. um, so that, so we had these two strong opposing parents you know and that were really like beaten down in our head like you're this you're this you're th yeah and we were like you know what we're both of it yeah because yeah. we were code switching and i found myself code switching all the time as you know i would say like if i was with my father's uh on my father's side of the people my my the blanchet side mm -hmm. i i would i would kind of shed away and put aside my yupikness and i'd become black and the same thing with being in in the village i would kind of put away my 
black side and I'd be fully Yupik. And it was just, and I saw that so many, that in iterations of that in so many people. And I was, when we, when we got, you know, a little older in our kind of later teenage years and I was in college and Philip and I were just, Kishak and I, Philip and I were connecting and we were really talking about that background and how crazy, how crazy that is. And so we're like, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's do something. Let's, let's, let's do something about it. And yeah. so that's kind of the creation of Bumiwa. You said you and your brother, you know, came to this conclusion of let's do something about it. What did those early stages of Bumiwa look like? <laughs> well, it was just him and I, um, kind of doing the singing part, but we also needed drummers and, and, and dancers because dancing, traditional dancing was a big part of the performance back then. Um, and it still is today, but, um, it really was at that time we had, uh, so what it looked like the very first show we had Marie Tyson, uh, Ben Snowball, David Chinar, and my mom, these four elders, mm -hmm. that was kind of our back, our backing band. And they were drumming for us. And then Kishak and I would dance. And then in between dances, we would sing um the acapella versions uh new arrangements of those traditional songs that you know that we grew up with so mm -hmm. that's kind of what it looked like for years uh for for about a year year and a half until we met aussie and brought aussie into the group and then aussie became kind of our you know our main drummer and then of course main composer of yupik songs um and and so then it was it was just the three of us for uh for about a year and then and then we met Karina Muller, uh, who uh, then um, became part of the group, and she really brought this whole another level of professionalism. You know, she was a she was a professional performer from Greenland. Okay. And so, uh, so through her, we got connected to other musicians like Christopher Yule, who was our first um, instrumental uh, collabor uh, uh, collaborator. Mm -hmm. He played the keys, uh, the keys. So that was our, and so the first album that we did was um acapella and piano accompaniment accompaniment and so uh so that's kind of what it looked like in the beginning for the first couple years uh and then um as we just started traveling and becoming you know um uh you know doing this uh on on, on world stages we were starting to connect with uh, different musicians and artists so uh we slowly started bringing in other instruments and instrumentation into the into the fold how did you and your brother feel about all of that change? Oh, it keeps it exciting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it keeps it. It keeps it fresh. Keeps it exciting. We loved experimenting with sound. I mean, we've. I mean, name it from African didgeridoo or, or the Australian didgeridoos to the African djembe and kungas. I mean, just like just really experimenting with tribal sounds and 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 instrumentation and arrangements. And so, uh, I mean, we've even done electronic stuff, you know, and like, it's like, it's always like, we're always trying to figure out new ways of expression and performance. And, uh, but at the core, keeping that core foundation of our traditional dances uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as, as that, as the, as the foundation of like, of, of where we take off from. So it's like that never, that ne we don't really depart too far from that. But the way that we express it and and experiment with sound, that changes. And that just makes it um, a lot more exciting. Yeah. So Bumua has been around for about 30 years. Yeah, just about, yeah. 
what did the Alaska music scene look like back then? <laughs> um, kind of like what uh, it looks like right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it needs, is there's a lot to a lot of movement uh, for growth, right? There's a mm -hmm. lot, there's a lot of room for it. You know, it's like the, then that's what a lot of folks, um, you know, partner collaborators, like, you know, um, Ingvil Guta and, uh, um, you know, Michael Howard and, and uh, Marion Call. There's a group of artists that were really trying to like really change the narrative of like the Alaskan music scene. So it's been something that's, uh, you know, we've been trying to help and push with, uh, push for, for I'd say about the last, uh, last five to 10 years of like, like really trying to put Alaska on the map, you know, mm -hmm. and we're seeing, you know, like Iceland Airways, there's models of it out there, like how Iceland is becoming this beautiful, amusing, amazing music destination. It's a small country, but it's really the the country standing behind its artists and its musicians. And so we're mm -hmm. really trying to find ways for kind of the industry uh, of, of music in Alaska to grow. And especially with, you know, my focus and my priorities is like really, trying to uplift indigenous artists. You know, we have mm -hmm. new artists like, you know, Byron Nikolai and Air Jazz, you have Akumatu, you know, and then there's established groups like Mark Brown, you know, mm -hmm. and the blues crew who's been, who's been playing for many, many years. And, but, you know, has, has not quite broke out into those, you know, those spaces and places uh, that Bumio has, you know, but we're yeah. like, but it's, I think it's just a lack of people's knowledge of like, who are who's out there what's the ecology of of indigenous music um mm -hmm. and music in general in alaska so you know that's one of the reasons why i'm why i started um you know the Ock rock music festival um here in juno uh is to really uh bring indigenous music on the main stage it's you know it's the fact that Ock rock is the only indigenous music festival in the united states is crazy yeah you know yeah it's just it just blows my mind but you know it's just like but this is what we've been navigating for the last 30 years. Um, and so we're trying to make that change. So the Ock Rock Festival, that, that feels like a natural progression for you. Yeah, this is, you know, this is something I've been working on for 20 years, 20 plus years. You know, I, um, we, we had a indigenous music celebration um, that we partnered with the Alaska Native Heritage Center. Um, for about 17 years and i was able to you know to me i was like you know i first proposed that you know about 20 years ago was to let's, let's do a music festival and you know mm -hmm. in, in in anchorage and there was a lot of people that were like yeah that's a great idea but no one really like it never really latched on it but except for the heritage center they supported it so for 17 years on a sunday in november from 10 to 4 uh, we would we would showcase um, indigenous artists from around the world, but like you know like three four artists three four groups every year, and to me that was a huge win. I loved mm -hmm. it, but in the back of my mind I was like the next step is a full on festival, right? Yeah. And so it never quite happened in Anchorage, but it it took coming to a, a community like Juno to uh, stand behind it and really um, having the community come together and say yes, this is what we should do. This is a great idea. Um, and so I'm, you know, bit just thankful to the community of Juno to just like to really step up and like open its arms to to this idea of of hosting and um, you know a marquee mm -hmm. indigenous music festival with artists from all over the world.
What do you think changed over the years for, for this festival to be able to happen? I think there's a, there's been a, a slow openness to indigenous culture um, in the United States, you know, and it feels like, you know, something that's slowly been happening, but then, you know, because I have this different perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Is I have this perspective that spans three decades. But if you if you really weren't into that, you can kind of see like, oh, my God, there in the last two, three years, there's been kind of a, a pop culture, you know, indigenous pop cultural explosion happening. You know, mm -hmm. you know, you have uh, Rutherford Falls, the TV show on that was on NBC. And then you have um, uh, FX having the res dogs, you mm -hmm. know, reservation dogs. Yeah. Um, and uh, Alaska Daily, you know, mm -hmm. hap happening. And so there's you're actually seeing natives and indigenous culture on the mainstream television and most mainstream media but uh but it's something that's been you know it's been slowly kind of getting there but it feels like it just kind of just opened up it was like this uh like this this pressure this pressure valve that has you know was kind of just holding it holding the steady stream and that just broke and now it's like the dam's broken yeah and and you know the artists are out there and they're telling their stories and you know and it's it's really great to see it's 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 fun to be a part of and i think awk rock is just a natural um, um part of that explosion of indigenous culture so you like it you you appreciate the ways that people are making the effort to put this culture cultures uh on the main stage oh yeah i mean it's just uh it's we've been waiting for this for a long time it's happening in other places you see um indigenous, indigenous cultures being honored and respected um mm -hmm. you know in other countries um let's you know like like say for instance um in new zealand in Aotearoa with the maori people uh it's very much a part of the whole fabric of of their their existence right in the being right in the media mm -hmm. like it's like to hear maori music on you know the in 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 the television and stories or in in tvs in tv shows and um and and festivals and uh at award shows it's just natural it's just now natural but that's something mm -hmm. that they they've been working on for for years and years you know the idea of like um land land acknowledgement came from from them from the australians and from new zealand that's it started in that side of the world and you know it has slowly made its way to the u.s People in the U.S. probably think land acknowledgement came from here. No, it did not. You know, it came from okay. across down, down under, uh, <laughs> but uh, with our indigenous brothers and sisters down there. And so, uh, so it's very much a part it, ev woven to every fabric and every part of the of media and culture there in 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 New Zealand. And that's what we're trying to do here. In you know, in the United States. Yeah, we're a long, long, long ways away. A long ways. I mean. We're the only indigenous festival. That's crazy. Yeah. New Zealand has like 15 or 20. <laughs> I want to go back to, you know, about 30 years ago mm -hmm. when Bummy was starting and the Alaska music scene. And I wonder how did Bummy fit into that mix? Uh, it was... 
it was uh kind of just came out of nowhere right we just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden we were uh you know open up opening up for um you know big shows at the performing arts center and you mm -hmm. know and do uh you know uh being asked to perform at all these different uh, events and and concerts and stuff like that so it, you know we just really and and w what we thought at the time you know honestly was you know we started a music label then and um, a recording company and all that kind of stuff because our idea was we were going to become like indigenous music moguls and like and be producers for like all you know all these up-and-coming indigenous artists, Alaska Native artists that we were hoping was going to happen, but, you know, but, mm -hmm. you know, we were like, oh, let's blaze the trails for this and, and they, you know, break ground, um, break trail. Uh, but it took a while, you know, it's just, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of work. And so I feel like we're finally seeing um, emerging artists that are coming through now. And mm -hmm. we've kind of changed. <laughs> it's kind of funny because we've kind of changed, um, um kind of we're, we're now the uncles right we're we're those we're those uncles that are that are part of uh you know indigenous life you know yeah. as, as a as a young man you're you go to your uncle you don't go to your father you go to your uncle to be raised okay your, your uncle teaches you everything and that's the traditional way in the yupik way right and inuit way and so um so we become those uncles um for a lot of these artists that are kind of coming up and and I love it. I love being that kind of advocate and and kind of a support a support because we didn't have that. You know, we didn't have folks that kind of told us like, what are the pitfalls? What are those? What works? What doesn't work? You yeah. know, what's how can we help you? You know, like let me let why don't you do a, a cameo on our music video or yeah. hit, or uh, hit, do some tracks and on on our new song here and like get you out there. So like. We're now, you know, it's it's great to be in that that role of of kind of just supporting um, folks that really want to get into this in this industry because it's not e it's not easy. Yeah. Um, and so, but it was, uh, you know, it was something that me, Kishak, and Asi and Karina, we had each other, um, and we had each other as a support system. And so, I I don't think, I don't think there's no way we could have done it without all of us working. Uh, to do it together because it was very um, humbling, you know, it's because it was, you know, we were, we quit our jobs and we were struggling artists for so many years, but we had to go through the struggle um, to get to the point where, you know, where, where we're at now, you know, so um, if, you know, if we kind of folded to that struggle, you know, it would, it would be doing something totally different now. I don't even know what I'd be doing. I have no idea. When you find yourself in that uncle position, how do you talk to a younger indigenous group about the pros and cons of pursuing music? I think one of the things I I do is is share opportunity. Like I love sharing opportunity and kind of the strategies of how to be a full-time performing artist, working artist because there are strategies of being able to do that, right? There's, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, let's say, for instance, with the performing arts, with music. So concerts is just one piece of that pie of being an artist. You have, so you have your concerts and you get paid to go do those. Then you do your albums, which you put out there to 
you know, to push yourself and push your music. And then those are music sales. Uh, you have merchandise. Uh, you could be a teaching artist where you taught, you know, go into schools and teach the arts because the mm -hmm. arts are not, are non-existent in schools nowadays. And so you kind of fill that void. Uh, you can get your stuff in, in, uh, apply for grants or fellowships. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's like each of these like different pieces of the pie that allow you to be able to continue your craft and your 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 uh, passions um if your passion is music you know that's there's ways to be able to do it you know find a a day job that would support your uh you know going on a tour mm -hmm. um you know it's you know if you get into a job that you have to be there nine to five that's not it doesn't fit in that life as a, as a musician. So you got to yeah. find, so there's, a, there's lots of strategies. So that's the way I kind of the, you know, I'm like, if you, if you want to do this, there's ways that you can make this happen. So, yeah. and understanding that, but you still have to put in all this work um, to be able to do this, to make it happen. So that's kind of the uncle status. That's an example of like what I would uh, kind of say and do to, to an upcoming artist. Yeah. I think that that, that all is just really, really great information because I think there might be musicians, artists out there who want to pursue, you know, their craft, but maybe don't understand that you just can't quit everything in your life and just focus on that. You know, you need to have income. You need to yeah, yeah. do it in an intelligent or smart way right off the bat. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, you know, even even with Bumia, we're you know we're an S corporation. So I think within five years of of us performing together, we incorporated as a you know as a business. So okay, we're 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 shareholders of Bumio Inc., but we're also employees. So there's like strategies of like how you can the way that we like with the S corporation. Maybe it might not be the way you want to go. Maybe you want to do C corporation, whatever it is. But we went with the S corporation where where. Um, you know, we can be as as a as a shareholder. You know, you get those dividends if the, if it's paying off. You know, you get your monthly income as an artist, and that's what we do. We have we actually we're actually on the payroll, and we're we're employees of Bumio Inc. But we're also shareholders as well. In and 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 so uh, we get that monthly income, and then at the end of the year, if it's a great year, we can pay ourselves a dividend. So there's like there's real strategies out there, like yeah. But you want to like if this is what you want to do, you, you don't want to do it. That's you, you want to do it as a business, and okay. so setting yourself up in a way with um um you know with taxes and all that kind of stuff uh that you, you have to do that um because you know we we those are things also i would that i talk about as an uncle right yeah because yeah, we struggled oh dude we messed up big time like we <laughs> we screwed up on our taxes like you know in the very beginning and we found ourselves deep deep in a hole and it took about a year about a year year and a half of us putting on concerts like and not paying ourselves at all yeah not paying ourselves at all except for our musicians that you know we hire out and and hire musicians but us me philip Aussie, and karina for uh, well over a year all of almost all of our income as an artist went to irs because we had to pay that that huge tax bill because uh, we just didn't understand the tax stuff right and so that that was like a learning that was a that was a growing pain and that was you yeah know, 
that's the kind of stuff I also talk to to our you know up and coming artists about. Like, man, this like don't get yourself you know, in a situation that we got ourselves in. Yeah, and you yeah. know we were like, you know, me and Aussie were living, we were roommates at the time, and we were like, we were. Uh, we had no furniture, no beds. I mean, we were buying, we are like <laughs> bread and bread yeah. and butter kind of stuff, man. We, I mean, struggling musicians, struggling musicians, man. We struggled. Yeah. And we were, we were stupid and put ourselves in a really, really, uh, in harm's way where we could, it could have been destroyed our career, but, uh, you know, we, we persevered and we were resilient and we, and we got through it, you know, thankfully, you know, we also have, we had very uh, supportive family, right? As well, you know, mm -hmm. my mom. Our mom has been a huge supporter of us, and we all have had partners. Uh, my former, my former wife uh, was a huge supporter, and and you know, without her, we never would have got through that part. You know, that hardship of like the taxes. Mm, okay. So you know, it takes it takes it takes a family. It takes a team. It takes uh, it takes support to to be able to uh, to make you know to to be successful at this. Cause you know, it's just, we have each other, but we also had our loved ones that were there for us as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always say that it's the perseverance, you know, you can have the talent, but the talent only really takes you so far, especially if you don't continue to cultivate that talent. Yeah. You got to work at it. It's yeah. constant. It's a constant work. Yeah. How many other Alaska Native music groups were there 30 years ago? Uh, professionally? Um, not, um, not, let's see. Uh, Medicine Dream. It was Medicine Dream was there right around the same time that we started. Um, uh, they were a, a group that was started by Paul Pike and uh, Steve Alvarez was in it as well. Uh, Buzz Daney. Um, they they were playing. Um, let's see, Ralph Saro played with them, who was another fellow Yupik. Um, mm -hmm. But they kind of played rock, uh, kind of uh, powwow inspired uh, uh, songs and with rock and roll flavor. They were fun. I loved those Bumiwa and uh, Medicine Dream shows back in the day. Were oh, they were dope. They were so amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just powerful. And but uh, but that was about it. There were some, you know. Uh, there were some bar bands and things like that, um, you know, kind of uh, Mark Brown kind of came into the scene a little after us. And um, but there's but there was also folks that came before us. There was uh, um, John and Gayak uh, uh, and uh, saying Akatamani, which was one of the highest uh, selling albums ever in like Greenland and like sold over a million um, singles in Japan. Okay. And this is in the seventies, right? Uh, so yeah. there's like artists that were there before us. Um, uh, Mad Dog Gregory, Robert Gregory, um, and uh, he's a Yupik uh, rocker. Uh, John Paul. Uh, so there was there were folks that were there that kind of um, um, we knew as musicians that sang like in like in Yup in the Yupik language mm -hmm. and things like that. So that so there was there was folks that were are are kind of our our predecessors um but we just kind of took the took the mantle and just kind of ran with it and brought it to a, a whole nother level and how did people an audience how did they react to your music uh no matter where we went there was always great um reactions to it that's I great mean, just i mean even in places where i mean obviously 
there's only 20 30,000 yupix in the world so right you know only okay you know so a handful of people even understand what we're saying right and then you know um you know at that time when we first started i think there was like 70 something percent of the of yupix people spoke the language so you know at that time it was 20 something thousand people that even understood what we're saying mm -hmm. but like pe people recognize and can feel music though like music is one of those international languages yeah like we've been able to travel around the world and be with people that we couldn't even have a conversation with like but with our instruments we could communicate mm -hmm. and so and the same thing like you know when we did shows in like russia or you know china korea i mean people had no idea they couldn't even speak english right like places where we, you know <laughs> there was no english spoken yeah but but you feel it you feel music you yeah, feel the yeah, arts and totally. that's, to me that's the power of of of, um, of the arts did you guys go to performance you know perform in a place like russia and it, it could be anywhere that's just you know a place that i remember you just saying mm. where you know, the group as a whole is like, I don't know how this place is going to, you know, receive our music, you know, and you went there and it just totally, you know, changed your mind. And then from that moment forward, you're like, oh, we can play anywhere. Oh, no, 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 no. Right. We do right off the bat. Like that was, that was something that we knew from day one that this was yeah that we had no question okay no que the only question in the beginning was whether our people was going to accept it okay. whether our whether our elders were going to accept it and so once we get that acceptance and that you know and the stamp of approval from our people to do this drastic um change to traditional dancing and traditional songs uh we knew we were good um so that's what we, the only thing that it's the only thing we, we were we were worried about was was how our people were going to react, especially our elders. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had a good we had a good idea because the elders that were there, um, like my mom and and Ben yeah. Snowball and uh, uh, Marie Tyson and and those elders, uh, they stood behind us from the from the first time we shared the idea. We knew uh, we were onto a, a a thing that was going to make a huge change um, for for not not only us but for our people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a performance that comes to mind that's maybe emblematic of what you and the rest of Bumua have been trying to accomplish? Hmm. Man, it's it's so many. It's it, it's interesting because we had so many like benchmarks and goals that we had, you know, from the get go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even things like the Grammys, you know, and, and mm -hmm. like, and so we, we had those benchmarks that we, that we were just kind of striving for. And so, uh, it's hard to like nail down, a, 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 a kind of a song or, or a performance or a time or, or an event. But I think the one that would be like, I'll go back to our people and like getting that, that, um, that stamp of approval from the Yupik and our elders was the performance that we did the first time we did a performance in our hometown and this was no one knew about it yet we hadn't been really out there yet and um so we can't we performed at uh, the jamai festival and we went up to it's one of uh 
Linda Curta, who is the main organizer of the Jamai Festival, which is the dance festival in my hometown. It's one of her favorite memories. And she like she talks about it like these these young guys that just came up and out of the blue, like went to her and like, hey, can we can we jump on stage and do a performance? And she was like, what? Who are you guys? And, what? <laughs> and, and she was just like, I guess we have this opening right here. We had, so there was a moment we had. And where she said, yeah, we, you, you guys can go up here. And, yeah. and she had no idea. No one knew at all what they were about to see. And like, so we went up there and we started singing. We danced Jaya which is a very, you know, very well-known dance in our hometown or home area. Mm-hmm. And then we, as soon as we were done dancing it, uh, you know, we stood up and we sang that song how it does, how it happens, like the start of the song, we, you know, and then we hit, there's this, you know, that's the intro, and then we hit this, and then we got into that harmony and hit that harmony. And in that, soon as we hit that harmony, you know, like 25 seconds, 20 seconds into the song, the whole, the whole venue stood up and started uh, clapping and cheering oh like 20 seconds to our very first song and it that was the most pro the most memorable moment in the 30 years of us performing oh that's incredible i love that isn't it interesting how as artists or musicians you know you can you can get all these accolades from strangers or even like friends but it's those moments, you know, when you, when you do it in front of the people that mean the most Mm -hmm. and it's, it's that acceptance that, you know, you're looking for. Yeah. It was, it was very, that, that was a pivotal moment. You know, that was a kind of a make or break. When did you realize that you wanted to play music? Uh, two weeks before our first show. So two weeks before your first show as Bamua, yeah. that's when you realize like, Hey, I, I'm going to try this music thing out. Yeah. Yeah. And I almost, I tried sabotaging it too. Cause then I, cause I chickened out <laughs> like, you know, the day of, I, um, you know, I sabotaged, showed up to our gig like hours late thinking that we missed the, you know, missed it and walked in, walked in and yeah. they were like, you know, the, the event organizer. It was actually for the graduation of the native artists or native graduates at UAA. It was a reception for them. Um, and uh, but two weeks earlier, Philip and I kind of came up with the, our first song, and you know, and it was the first time Philip had shared it with. We had shared it with anybody outside of like our family, mm-hmm. and and we sh- Philip shared it with. Um, uh, a counselor at UAA and she was like, well, do you want to perform at the, you know, the reception for the native graduates? And Philip was like, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, two weeks after we came up with the, the idea, we were performing um, in front of an audience and, wow. it, um, and we never looked back. Why were you so hesitant to play? Oh, man, I was nervous. I'd never okay. performed. In front, I never, I never sang in front of people. I never performed in front of people. It was not, um, never danced, never did traditional dancing in front of people. It was not something I did. It was, I was, I was going into law. I was a, I was a, uh, I was a, my, my degree was in um, political science and I was, I was going to go into Indian law. That was my route. That was my, okay. that was the journey I was going to be taking. 
but this music thing just kind of derailed that and changed it. Um, I always wanted to do something for our people, so it just kind of changed. Went from um, advocating for our people, you know, with music and the arts rather than through, uh, you know, Indian law. It sounds like you've done some thinking about that. You know, you wanted to always do something for your people, and that's why you were going into Indian law. Yeah. Yeah. But did you have that same mentality initially with music? Uh, no, no, not really. It was just... Okay. Yeah, it was just to have fun. Uh, but we quickly realized that, oh, this is has the potential... By, by, I'd say by the second or third show, we knew this had the potential of being um, something greater than we thought it was going to be. Or mm -hmm. like... You know, like we, we were just doing it for fun. We weren't getting paid. Like the first, I'd say the first year of our of our existence, we didn't get a single dime. Um, our first show, our first paid show was um, actually at the high school I graduated at, Wasilla High School. We got okay. paid $100 uh, between, the, the, between the three of us. <laughs> yeah. And that, was a, and that was a 10 school contract that we did. It was 10 schools for a thousand dollars. So it was a hundred dollars a school. Wow. That's awesome. That was the Matt. Yeah. It was the Matsu school district. So that was our first, um, our first paying gig. And, uh, and it was actually the first time I met Aussie was the night before our first, first, first showing as Bumiwa, right? Mm -hmm. we were, before that we weren't called Bumiwa. We didn't, we didn't have a name yet. Um, and so we were just kind of, it was just Philip and, you know, Philip and Kajung. Yeah, and so uh, the Blanchett brothers, and so that's just yeah, we're just that's we had no name. <laughs> so yeah, so when uh, the the night before our first show at, at uh, Wasilla High School it was like when I met Aussie, and um, yeah, the rest is history, man. Just kind of grew from there. Do you have any mementos that are reminders of, you know, your first pieces of success? And, and, and why I ask that question or where that comes from is I remember when I first got into journalism and I wrote an article for a snowboard magazine. And it was a small, like one page article, maybe 500 words, maybe less, but I got a check in the mail and it was from the publisher and oh. I photocopied that check. I hope that's not illegal, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I kept the photocopy and, mm -hmm. you know, I have it, you know, in like my, my box of memorabilia. And, and it's, it's just a sign of, you know, I did it. 
You know, I, I, I'm finally doing the thing yeah. that I went to school for and that I've been pursuing even long before that. Yeah. No, I've had few of those things, right? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, it was funny for the, for the longest time for, for, for many, many years of our, of our existence in the beginning, I kept, I would keep, uh, remember paper tickets, airline tickets? Yeah, yeah. Remember, remember those things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I I kept every single one, so I had uh, all of our plane tickets from like you know to China to Europe to you know, name it right. I was just like yeah. I just kept these. That was so. That was kind of the first um, kind of momentum that, that I would kind of keep. But they they change over the years, and like there's different things. Um, Years later, uh, you know, so our, I mean, we, we were around so long that our first album was on tape, right? You know, mm -hmm. and like when tape, tape recorders were still a thing, they were still relevant. So, you know, we, our, our first album, we had a run of like tapes that we would sell. We'd go perform at events and whatever, festivals and we'd, yeah. but I never, I never kept one. I didn't, I didn't have it. And, um, and so about, I'd say about 10 or so years ago, um, I was doing a residency in Kodiak and I went to the Alutic Museum and in their gift shop up on the top shelf was a copy of, it was our tape for sale. Okay. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. And I was like, <laughs> And I I pointed up there and I and she was like, and I was like, hey, can you give me that? And she like, you know, brought it down. And I was like, you see that? That's me right there. Like, and she's like, oh my god, we've had that tape here for years. Like, it's been here for years. <laughs> and I was and she was like, do you want it? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, twenty something years after we released our first, you know, first album. Yeah. You know, I, I have a tape. That's wild. <laughs> so it's now sitting. It's now sitting in, uh, you know, in our living room area on a mantle. It's like right there is a memento, and and it's just a reminder of kind of our beginnings right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think your understanding of what it means to be a musician has changed at all over time? Um, I think it's evolved. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's always been a part of our kind of our background of of how the reason why we we're doing our music was to really like keep the cultures alive and mm -hmm. keep our language our keep our language spoken right keep it you know the dancing keep it keep on dancing right so that mm -hmm. that was kind of the that was kind of the uh focused in the very beginning but like i think it's evolved in where how artists can be more um go beyond that uh, and become like advocates for equity, for inclusion, for mm -hmm. diversity. So you become like where, where politics and arts start to kind of converge. Um, mm -hmm. So that I think that understanding of like the importance of, of the platform of music and the platform of arts and how important that can be, that kind of has evolved. You know, I was kind of more of an, I was thinking more, I was more focused on, on just, you know, our people, our region, or the Inuit people, or Alaska Native people, but mm -hmm. it, like, understanding that it's, there's a greater um, 
greater understanding, a greater uh, uh, impact that we can make as as, as even this, these these three artists from small villages in Western Alaska, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know we that understanding that that platform is 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 something that can be very impactful that that's yeah. that's that's something i don't take lightly i read that you've always dreamt of producing an album of your own mm. and to continue telling stories of love loss and to share a bit more of the place that is very much you would you mind sharing a story of love <laughs> yeah well here okay i i have this uh I have this song called "Losing Control," right? Yeah. On my, on my on my on my solo album, it's one that we don't do in Bumio shows. Like, so a lot of the stuff that's on my solo album are 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 not really in the context of Bumiwa, so we don't we don't do many of them. Some of them are like the first Alaskans or you know our people, you know things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, lo- "Losing Control" is 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 an unconventional love song. It's it's really a love for a place um in my upbringing so you know we grew up um you know it's you know i grew up in Montreal in bethel mm-hmm. uh, that was you know that was a place a town where people know of but um for about four four to five months out of the year we lived in camps um my entire upbringing we we'd live in fish camps where we as a family would come together and we would hunt and fish um for our food uh, for the for the rest of the year and for our entire families, mm-hmm. so we did it as a family unit, and we would always go to this our fish camp, which was about five miles below Bethel, um, and um, but the you know with with climate change and all the things going on with the environment, um, it really it really started taking a havoc, and we started to lose the land around our fish camp, and so this place that we that was so impactful in my family and really brought us together uh, was then lost. So it was like losing a loved one. Mm. And so, um, and we're now, we all still have our fish camps and stuff, but we're all separated now in these different fish camps kind of dotted along the river. And that whole, um, that whole way of, of life where we did it together as this huge family, mm-hmm. uh, will probably never ever happen again and it's sad for you know because my kiddos they'll never experience that that special life that that i was able to be raised in it's and and uh yeah so that's the example of like love there and and it's not you know so people when they hear it they actually you know they often think i'm talking of someone in my life a person but it's not about a person it's about a place yeah yeah, that that song sounds like it covers both love and loss. Yeah, 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 exactly. How do you think those two emotions, love and loss, are connected to place? <laughs> uh, well, as an indigenous perspective, um, place is and land and where you are from and homelands is is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's uh, probably one of the most powerful um aspects of 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 indigeneity that that can be uh, besides language and kind of customs and 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 you know uh traditions it's the land mm-hmm. that land base of where where your people come from that's it's it's massive so uh so that idea of love and loss and like what we're fighting for as indigenous people is is very uh it's it's huge right um mm-hmm. 
you know, because we came, we were a, a hairs away of losing everything, um, you know, with with assimilation and with uh, with United States coming in, the state of Alaska and the changes that were happening so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was it was very devastating, mm-hmm. um, and so it's to me that some of the the best ways of really coping and dealing and healing is through the sharing. And so that's why so many of like, when you listen to the radio, mm-hmm. most of the music that you ever listen to on the radio or in mainstream media is about love or loss. I mean, yeah. that's, that's it. Like what song is there not? <laughs> you know? Would you consider yourself more of a storyteller or a musician? Storyteller. Okay. Cause it was the basis of the music is the dancing. And that is storytelling at its essence. It's, it's theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so that theater is still continue that performing performance art and theater and storytelling is very much uh, the, the very basis <laughs> of our music. So that's, we are, mm-hmm. we're storytellers before musicians. Music and dance as with so many other artistic pieces of expression can be about uncovering truths or maybe even conveying truths. Sometimes those truths are personal. Sometimes they're universal. Do you think in all the years that you've been creating music and dancing that you've uncovered some truths about yourself? Yeah. And I think we've done it in um, kind of together. And it's like kind of this, shared narrative is i guess what would i would call it mm-hmm. um um i think that's why one of the reasons why in like indigenous cultures or um communities really connect with us because of that shared truth and that shared knowledge and that shared experience mm-hmm. and that's very much the essence of our music is sharing that and so i think yeah i there's definitely a little bit of uncovering of that um, together. And then of course, like with, with me, um, you know, with when I'm thinking about solo album that I did with Mew, Mm -hmm. it really is just, that one is just, you know, it's, it's me. It's like how I, some of my best music that I ever wrote or, um, and stuff that I've never even came out that stuff, you know, that has never been produced or recorded. Some of the best writings ever done was when I was struggling. And when I was going through something, when I was lost my grandmother or my auntie or my cousin or my brother, you know, it was like, that was when, that's when things would really come out um, of my soul. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that's, 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 that's definitely discovery there, you know, mm-hmm. it's discovering myself and, and then rediscovering, you know, those things that you lost and, and uh, those loved ones. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's like this for you, but I know that it's like this for me that when I'm able to uncover a personal truth about myself or maybe even acknowledge a universal truth, I feel like I'm more me. You know, I, I'm, I've, I've settled in and I understand my identity that much more. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. That's an interesting Point you're bringing up because uh, my performance life and the the 
Bumyo persona is very much not me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but is it? But is an ex, it's an extension and a um, I would say what would I call that? I would say that was a uh, um, it's a part of it's it's a part of me that is I would say is suppressed and buried because I'm not really like a outgoing like gregarious person personality like okay i have ne i never like the reason why i was going into political science and law i was like like i was like in the books right i was into like i was i was a nerd <laughs> um and and so uh i i never liked being in the limelight um i mean even in class in school i never raised my hand i was like, okay but i you know i was but i was like that you know that a student you know that but but I never would put myself out there. So so this so there's a lot of folks that think I'm this like crazy outgoing person. <laughs> but like inside, like some of the events I'm doing, or especially afterwards, I am die. I'm dying, dude. <laughs> I like I'm like oh my god. But it's it's part of it's part of the business though. It's part of like I I realize like when I'm off of the stage at a concert or at a venue it's not done until i'm gone i'm gone i'm mm -hmm. out right at the hotel or at home um it's like you're still in performance mode so uh you know so that that there's that that shift that happens and it and it's very uh it's very uh, exhausting and very debilitating and so mm -hmm. and um and tiring um, there's been times where I really wanted to just quit and I have done that. I have taken a break from performance and from the band. Um, and so just to just like recenter myself and there was, they all understood like Philip and Aussie and Karina, they knew that there was a time when I had to just get away and just, um, get out. The way that I did that was I would just go out in nature. Uh, okay. I would spend I would spend my time out in campsites for months on end. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was my way of recharging myself and my, and reconnecting, uh, with myself. Uh, and, um, so I can, so I can keep doing bummy on. Yeah. Would you credit your brother Philip for helping you, get out of your comfort zone oh yeah he's uh philip and aussie are like man they're they're amazing um and to do it and to do it with uh to be able to share this life that i've been living for the last several decades or few decades with my brother and my cousin um what a blessing man to to do it with someone you love and you care about and Mm -hmm. and so they're just partners man they're my partners <laughs> you know yeah and so i feel like i'm like one of the luckiest guys in the world you know to be able to to have this as a career and to be able to do it with um you know of course we have our struggles you know because every band does and that's why yeah. a lot of bands break up because you're together constantly all the time and but the reason why we've been have, being able to sustain this and weather those storms is because we're family mm -hmm. and 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 through thick and thin um and so 
uh, through those hard times, we stand by each other. And so I credit Kishak and Asi for us uh, being able to like, to maintain all these years of, 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 uh, of this crazy life. Do you think that the mission of the band to talk about, you know, Alaska Native heritage and to, to share those culture or that culture with other people is maybe a reason that you guys have never broken up even in the hardest times because some bands that do break up, it's always been about the music. Yeah. You know, let's make, let's make this song. Let's make another hit. You know, there's not all the time something as uh, important as their identity or their heritage a involved. Mission. Yeah. A mission. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I've, I've, I've actually kind of joked about that and, you know, I'm, you know, you know, seriously, like, I think that there's no way, I think no matter what, like we, we're going to just keep going because it's bigger than ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it is something, uh, you know, it's, it's a mission. It's a, a mission in life. Uh, it's about the language. This is about this is about the future of indigenous cultures and and indigenous youth. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's so much bigger than yeah. You're right. It's so much bigger than just a song or or the band itself. Like we're in a band for the sake of being in a band. No, it's like we're in the band to save lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to save languages, to save traditions and culture and protocol that's to keep it to keep that alive and keep it and to and to push it because cultures are not stagnant cultures are not like in a museum piece we're not behind a, a glass we're we're living and thriving mm -hmm. and evolving and growing so this is our way of like just being able to show that and and um that we as indigenous people can tell our stories in whatever way that we want to mm -hmm. and uh but the uh you know but that story uh is the is the important thing uh most important thing so that's yeah it's it's way bigger than ourselves i don't think we could ever quit uh you know we'll, we'll be doing this for a long long time is there a difference for you being a solo artist and being part of a group like pamua i I do the solo thing, I think is as just a way of, of, hmm. I don't know. It's like Bamiwa and Miu, they're two very separate things and I approach them very differently. I push more Bamiwa. That's my focus. Mm -hmm. My solo career is I don't I don't focus on it at, at all. I don't actually don't even really push it. Um, the shows that I've done and or the performances and the sharing that I've done is is really just more of a passion thing. That's that's more my hobby, I guess, in a way. Okay. Where Bumio is the career. Like yeah. you know, there's there's hobby there's hobby artists and there's professional artists. So Bumio is my profession. Uh, Kachung and Mew is my hobby. Yeah, I, I guess that'd be the easiest way to, to interpret the two. And I read that this album, Mew, 
is a love song to the greatest people on this planet. <laughs> Who are those yeah. people? Oh man. Ugh. Indigenous people, Alaskan native people. I mean, I, they're, you know, we as indigenous, especially of the Northern circumpolar, we come from the, some of the most harshest places mm-hmm. on this planet. Right. Mm-hmm. And where our people, our ancestors, like, I mean, they set a life in this, in this place called Alaska and or in Northern Canada or Northern Greenland or Northern Russia, name it, the Sami in Northern Norway, Sweden, Mm -hmm. um, where it is so difficult and so hard to live in such a inhospitable place, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think we come from some of the strongest, most resilient people on this planet. And, and, and that's to me, that's just honoring, the honoring the the strength and the resilience of of our ancestors not only survive in these places but to like create this culture that is now being you know that that you see around you mm-hmm. that you know that is very much you know um I, I i i just honor it man this is this is a love story to them that's like absolutely like that that history and that precedence that our people made in this place is like it's awe-inspiring mm-hmm do you ever get overwhelmed? You know, you talked about being an introvert, you know, and then because of your brother, because of other bandmates, you have, uh, for, for better, you know, been forced to be an extrovert yep. in a lot of situations. Do you ever get overwhelmed with that feeling of responsibility? Uh, oh yeah, I absolutely. I mean, there's moments where um, where I I have to step away or you know because I've I, you know or I'll break mm. right because I've been there I have broke and you know you go and you push yourself until you can't go no more and yeah for sure and me being an introvert and that kind of that that struggle of of doing. Um, a life uh, doing a career where you have to be an extrovert where you mm-hmm. have to become this whole persona um it's exhausting uh absolutely and like i'm just lucky to have like so we all have our role right yeah like uh you know gitak and aussie man those guys can work a room oh my gosh and it's it's awesome i mean the way the aussie connects with people is next level um People love him. People absolutely love him. And Philip too. Uh, they just, they love him. And I am so okay with not being that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am so okay with it. Um, and, you know, when I just get on stage, I'll just push it. I'll just, my, that, the thing about it is I absolutely, I absolutely love the singing part of it and the performance part, mm-hmm. like the dancing and the drumming oh i absolutely love it in that moment yeah in that moment i i come out of myself i become i become something completely different someone completely different and and you become this character and and it's just that part of it i i love Mm -hmm. but then 
and then but when the music stops that's when the anxiety happens right and it's like then yeah. you're like oh my god why are you looking at me what do you want to, what do i what do i talk about now like oh and not sound like all like conceited and you know because i'm like talking about the music and cool like yeah yeah it's just that's where yeah <laughs> that's what i just like but it's it's awe-inspiring watching watching my partners um uh, in bumia do their thing it's it's really cool mm-hmm if you don't mind me asking, what did that look like when you got overwhelmed, when you broke? Uh, oh my gosh, besides crying. <laughs> 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 you know, it it looks like different things, right? The unhealthy version is um um drinking too much. Okay. You know, doing stuff that's not healthy. That's the unhealthy part. That's the that's the dirty side of it all, right? That's the, you know, it's like you've seen it happen with many, many famous groups out there and bands. You know, like how did this person just die? How did they like? Mm-hmm. How could they throw their lives away with drugs or alcohol or whatever? You know, it's like it. Me, I like. Oh yeah, I can see why this person, why this happened, because it's absolutely, it's hard. It, and if you're not that person, if you don't have that personality it's that much harder. Yeah. And so that's what breaking can look like. Um, or else it can look like just me kind of just stepping away and just being completely um, isolated, you know, just like I need my space. Mm-hmm. And that's more, that's more of the healthy part of it. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I just go and I need to take time for myself. And, and, and it's awesome because my loving partner, um, you know, mother of my children i mean she understands that and knows that and recognizes it and sees it Mm -hmm. like you need to go (laughs) and (laughs) you and and just do do something for yourself so that could look like uh, going to the gym or going out onto the uh for a hike or a run or getting on the boat um um, going for a swim Mm -hmm. um but that's the more healthy side of it but but there's definitely i have definitely had that unhealthy part and you know and struggled and um yeah and i'm not and i'm not ashamed to to share that at all uh it's definitely a part of like life and 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 dealing with stuff and so if i can be a an an example of like of kind of the hardships and the the highs and the lows uh i would absolutely be that that uncle yeah that shares that yeah yeah and those situations those hardships i mean they made you who you are today yeah, yeah, you come. What's that? The phoenix through the fire kind of thing. Is that yeah, the... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I went through your social media, and so many of your posts are of your kids. What do you see as the most important thing about being a dad? Oh, being that father, being that father figure. You know, um, one of my favorite shirts that my uh, joy my partner got me was uh it's not a dad bod it's a father figure <laughs> <laughs> and uh i rock that shirt all the time and i rock it on stage because i'm like yeah dude it's like this is also a message like be a positive be a positive um role model for your kids and be and i try to do that i try to be that person that they can look up to uh, you know i speak to them in my language mm-hmm. uh we you know we put them into places and spaces that we want them to grow and thrive and 
and challenge themselves um, and do it in a loving and supporting way, supportive way. So that's, I mean, that's, you're right, man. You go through my social media, like 90% of my, my posts are of my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I am a family person. I'm, that's the very core of me is like, I love my family. Um, not just, not just my kids and my immediate, my immediate family, but my, like that story of my, that fish camp and how we did all that stuff together, that special life. Mm -hmm. That was, that was the best. And, um, and I miss, and, and, and I, I'm a family person. And, and so like my immediate family is like cousins. We call each other's brothers and sisters. There's no differentiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got families. I love, I love, love, love my family. You know, I've found that when we talk to children, I think we have a tendency to simplify things and in simplifying them, I think we also distill them to their essence. How would you describe how you talk to your kids? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I want to give them as much room to grow as individuals as I can, mm -hmm. uh, but also kind of guide, um, guide them as a parent. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely, I am so loving to them. Um, and, and you know, even sometimes we're like, okay, no, I got to stop. I got to let them be, let them be them themselves and, and struggle and, and figure things out. Um, my partner, Joy, she's so much better at that, uh, than me. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's a partnership raising our kids. So it's like, um, and it's, it's special to be able to be able to do that together. And because mm -hmm. you take those two, the two different ways of, of, of raising our kids to really, uh, to raise them in a good way. And it's, it's been awesome to see uh, my kids just grow up to become, you know, just, you know, just beautiful young adults and, and the little ones where it's seeing where they're going. You know, we just, we definitely do it with love mm -hmm. and support. You dedicated this solo album, Mew, to your ancestors and to future Alaska natives to come. Did you have anyone in particular in mind when you were working on this album? Um, you know, when I'm talking about future ancestors, it's just really like that idea that we just continue to be, um, that are, you know, that are, you know, I've seen languages of some of our Alaska Native languages uh, disappear in, in my lifetime, and our, you know, in the, and so to see that happen, it's just like it's devastating, and it's it's like losing a loved one or family member. Um, but like to me, I'm like this is this is why we're doing it, right, for the future of of uh, future generations. Mm -hmm. But I also like just love and honor the those that came before us. So, uh, you know, that's a very much an indigenous like perspective and way of being, um, is to really honoring your elders and honoring your ancestors, and then really thinking of the future generations. You're thinking way in advance, mm -hmm. not just the next generation. You're thinking two or three generations ahead. And we have no word for like future, you know, it's like, it's, it's basically translated, it's translated to, to that time and so um you know that's you know so that's we're, i'm thinking about to that time 
and and so that's what I was thinking about when when I was putting this this project together. And when you listen to it, maybe for the first time, maybe for you know the hundredth time, do you feel like you know that dedication hit its mark? <laughs> the, um, that's this is the thing about as an artist is like you're you're never satisfied <laughs> yeah <laughs> and but you have but don't let perfection you know mess you know that you know be the enemy right yeah um so it's like we i'll, I'll tell a story we had our la our last album with bumiwa which was side a side b took us seven years to complete and we have multiple versions of each of those songs that's on the album i mean multiple enough to put out like probably six or seven more albums wow just with those versions of the song yeah and and so because and it's just like because you're never you just want to keep you just you're never happy right you just like yeah. okay we could do it this way and so like yeah for sure but that's why i kind of for me the best thing i would say advice for an artist a musician uh anybody who's a project driven is you take that win you take what you did and present it to the world or what you created and you celebrate it mm -hmm. you celebrate it when it in that moment and then you move on to the next one uh, don't don't just don't sit there and and Think about what could have been, what you could have done, or what you could have changed, or or all that. Because you can do that and just be, uh, just go down that rabbit hole, and you can get stuck in that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, the best thing to do is just to just take that win and just embrace it and celebrate it, put it aside, and then you go for the next one. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just the way. That's the only way, because other, otherwise you'll you could drive yourself crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not listen to my music. And really, <laughs> okay. yeah, I, uh, you know, when it comes on, you know, I'm like, oh, like I'll appreciate it every once in a while. Like, you know, it'll pop on, and I'm just like listening. I'm like, oh man, that's that's pretty, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, yeah, I don't, I don't it's not on my phone it ain't my stuff like it's not on my playlist like uh it's like out of my mind and moving on to the next one yeah i'm ready to record another album what do you mean you, you're you're ready to record another album after those previous ones came out you know you, you finished with that project is that what you're saying yeah yeah i'm ready for another one so yeah i have a bunch of songs written and and uh yeah just take it's just finding the time uh to get into the studio and just to really make that um that commitment um that's mm -hmm. that's that's the hard part that's um i was actually just talking to a a colleague of mine on the phone earlier like we're like all right um because i think i'm gonna do it in i want to do it in in uh sitka um and my friend zach uh, dylan walsh was who uh, performs with um with yacht scene with nicholas galan's band Okay. He's uh there. Uh, he uh, created. He has an amazing studio space, which I think would be an amazing residency space. Just live there and record mm -hmm. and create. So I think uh, that'll be that's where I'm going to record my next albums is uh, in Sitka. So it's just making that time and and um, 
that commitment and the resources and all that to make that happen. Um, cause you want to do it right. You know, it's like, you don't want to, yeah. you don't want to do things, um, halfway, uh, you want to, you want to go all out. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't know when it's going to be, uh, but I think in the next, uh, uh, near future, I'll be jumping back into studio. I don't know if this applies to you, but I've heard stories of musicians who like you don't listen to their previous stuff unless they're in the process of making a new album and listening to their older stuff. What they're looking for is to make sure that they're not retreading the same subject or maybe saying the same thing that they said, you know, in a song previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a great strategy for, for a lot of artists. Um, for sure. Uh, I, I mean, for me, um, you know, I just, the, the way that I pick a song or where I'm like, uh, where I'm like, okay, this is, here's, here's one. Mm-hmm. is is like i just you know i find a i find a story that i that that uh just resonates with me or connects with me and 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 create that story and then i kind of sh- put it aside i have like scratch recordings of, of things mm-hmm. and uh and just kind of put it aside so i have like this like i guess of what we've got a database of of uh of recordings where uh where i'll revert to those and not to the past recordings so that i that i have my process mm-hmm. which i you know i like i'll i'll build off of off of something that that's new and record it and then kind of let that sit and and maybe go back to it a little bit but it's always the new stuff that i'll go back to okay okay yeah what do you see as bumua's legacy to alaska and to alaska native people uh, staunch advocates, ambassadors for indigenous native culture, language, and traditions. Yeah, I think that legacy of just being, um, of never giving up on on our language and 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 especially our our ways of of uh, expression in 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 dancing and storytelling. That's to me. That's that'll probably be our lasting legacy. Is that. Uh, you know, we just kept the, kept the story going. Mm-hmm. Well, Kachung, those are all the questions I have for you. All right. This was, this was fun. I want to let you know that, you know, I have a deep appreciation for what you and the rest of Bumua have been doing and continue to do. Well, Kuyana, I really appreciate that. And, uh, and uh, thank you for, uh, yeah, you had some great, great questions. That made me think of some stuff that I haven't thought about in a long time. So um, I appreciate this conversation. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I think um, love, love who you are, like every being of yourself um, and never hide, never hide who you are, no matter how difficult it is or, or politically incorrect or whatever it is, man, you know, it's like, we have been hiding long enough, you know, as you know, especially when, you know, as native people, when we were told we were just drunks or, or, you know, uh, we're, we're lower than, than the, the, 
as as people than than we should you know as as we should be that that to be to be and wear and and shout out to the world of who you are where you come from every fabric of yourself i mean that's what uh, me that's that's why we started this group so many years ago and why we continue it uh, to this day that 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 has never changed and just uh, just love yourself and love each other For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. Mm-hmm.